Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This week we are looking at the assignment for August 31st through September 6th, Helaman 13 through 16, Glad Tidings of Great Joy. And look at this. It's like Christmas time in the middle. Well, not even in the middle of summer. We're kind of towards the end of summer, but we're still talking about Christmas time type things. And so I was really excited because I love Christmas and I love the scriptures that surround Christmas. So we're kind of going to talk about that a little bit. But first, I want to say a big thank you to, I think I'm going to get their username wrong, but it looks like it's Xenon number eight. Xenon number eight, please tell me you took your name from Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, because I love that little Disney film. But anyway, Xenon number eight left a sweet review on iTunes. Thank you so much for leaving your review. If you feel so inclined to go leave a review of The Savior Said on iTunes, please do. It helps others to find the podcast when they're looking for Come Follow Me podcasts. Okay, so jumping on into our awesome lesson this week. We are all about Samuel the Lamanite this week. And it's funny, anytime I think about Samuel the Lamanite, I think about my sisters and my little brother when we were younger. You know, we'd have family home evenings. And one of the ways, like, my parents would desperately try to get us to participate and cooperate in family home evenings was by acting out the scriptures. And Samuel the Lamanite was always a really fun one because one of my siblings would have to go stand up on a chair and we would all throw, like, little balled up pieces of paper at them. (laughs) So I really liked the Samuel the Lamanite lessons. Um, And I did it when I was in primary. When I was a primary teacher, I did the same thing to some poor kid in my primary class. So Samuel the Lamanite is a fun Book of Mormon story for me. But this week as I went in and started reading the scriptures again, I found that Samuel and I like really mesh. Like I really understand Samuel. I love the way he teaches. I feel like it's very similar to how like I would teach what the doctrine that he had to teach the people. Um, You know, as we have gone through and read the Book of Mormon, I felt like I've really gotten to know the different prophets' personalities. And, you know, some of them are very stern and some of them are very much about Christ. And some of them are very much about educating and teaching the people. And so they have beautiful methods of education that they um use to teach the people the doctrine of Christ. And, you know, so I just love the different methods. I see the prophets, the way that they speak to the people and how their personalities come through. And in reading about Samuel this week, there are several times where I'm like, oh, I totally would have done that. Good job, Samuel. So I think he's pretty cool. But let's jump into Come Follow Me. The introduction says, the first time Samuel the Lamanite tried to share glad tidings in Zarahemla, he was rejected and cast out by the hard-hearted Nephites. You might say it was if they had built an impenetrable wall around their hearts that prevented them from receiving Samuel's message. Samuel understood the importance of the message he bore, and he demonstrated faith by following God's commandment that he should return again and prophesy. Just as Samuel did, we all encounter walls as we prepare the way of the Lord and strive to follow his prophets. 
And like Samuel, we too bear witness of Jesus Christ, who surely shall come and invite all to believe on his name. Not everyone would listen, and some may actively oppose us. But those who believe in this message with faith in Christ find that it truly is glad tidings of great joy. I love that. I love finding joy in Christ. That is one of my like main purposes of this podcast is to lead others to find joy and peace in Christ and to lean on him and to believe in him. And I feel like that was Samuel's mission as well. Um, I know that that's all the prophet's missions is to bring us to Christ and to bring us to our heavenly father. But I just really love the way that Samuel did. I just, I just love him. And one of the things that I loved about it that I really felt like I could see myself in is in chapter 13, it's talking about how he's preaching to the people. And when we read in chapter 13, verse 3, it said, But behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, that he should return again and prophesy unto the people whatsoever things should come into his heart. And then in 4, you know, he goes and he prophesies, and he prophesied unto the people whatsoever things the Lord put into his heart. I love that phrase of the things that the Lord puts into your heart, because I feel like that's what happens with me a lot of times. I'll have something that I'm really ruminating on or I'm really thinking about, and that's, you know, what I need to think about that week or what I need to pray about that week. And I feel like those are thoughts that the Lord puts into my heart. And it was interesting as I was getting ready to prepare for this week's episode, I hadn't had that experience yet. And I kept thinking, you know, Heavenly Father, I've got some good stuff and some good material I want to use. But I'm like, I don't feel like that you've put that burning message that I really need to share into my heart. And so that was one of my prayers before I started recording this episode. And, um, you know, I'm like, please let me find whatever it is that I need to share with the people who are listening. And so finding a few things on churchofjesuschrist.org, flipping through some materials on Helaman 13 through 16, I found something interesting. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, I think this is what I'm supposed to share. So I found this in, it's I think it's the seminary teacher student manual. I think it's the seminary teacher manual, seminary teacher manual. And it's the lesson for Samuel the Lamanite. So sorry, seminary kids. I'm like totally ruining the surprise, I guess, that you would have of your seminary lesson. But it asks three questions. There's three questions that it asks the reader or the students in the class. The first question is, what message did God put into Samuel's heart? And we can go in and we can read various scriptures. And we're going to read lots of scriptures from this week's reading. But the message that I saw was that, Number one, the people do need to repent. And number two, they need to know that their Savior loves them. And they need to know that they can come unto him. And when they come unto him, he welcomes them with open arms. That's one of the ways that I really loved Samuel's teachings is not only was he like, you must repent, you must repent, you must repent, which I feel like some of our Book of Mormon prophets have been kind of just like waggy finger, you must repent, which I think the people were so hardened, that's the only thing that would get through to them. But Samuel tells them that they need to repent, that they need to do what's right, but he's constantly reminding them of their Savior, and he's constantly reminding them of his love for them. And he's constantly reminding them of the goodness of God and that when you turn from your sin, it's there for you. And that's what I loved this week about Samuel. The next question that the seminary manual asked, you know, there's three of them, was why do you think it might have been difficult for Samuel to deliver this message? Because Samuel was a Lamanite, and this was a group of Nephites who 
you know, he knew that the Lord had considered them his chosen people. We're going to read a scripture about that. And he knew that they were supposed to be doing the right thing, but they weren't. They were making really bad choices. And he, who was not part of the chosen people, y'all, let's just read the scripture. We just need to read the scripture about it, I feel. All right. And this is in Helaman 15. And so he's up on the wall. He's talking to the people. And, you know, he's telling the Nephites that they're loved by their heavenly father. And he says, Yea, woe unto this people who are called the people of Nephi, except they shall repent. When they shall see all these signs and wonders which shall be showed unto them, for behold, they have been a chosen people of the Lord. Yea, the people of Nephi hath he loved, and also he hath chastened them. Yea, in the days of their iniquities hath he chastened them, because he loveth them. But behold, my brethren, the Lamanites, hath he hated, because their deeds have been evil continually, and this because of the iniquity of the tradition of their fathers. But behold, salvation hath come to them through the preaching of the Nephites, and for this intent hath the Lord prolonged their days. Okay, so Samuel knows, like, the history between his two people. He knows that the Nephites have been favored by God, yet he is having to come and talk to them and say, listen up, friends, like, y'all need to repent, and here's your Savior, and he's amazing, and turn to him, please. He tried to do that by himself. Well, not, I guess the Lord was still with him. But, you know, Samuel went into the Nephites and he went into the land of Zarahemla. This is in chapter 13, verse 2. And he began to preach unto the people. And it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people. And they did cast him out. And he was about to return to his own land. So he goes, yeah, Nephites, I tried. I tried. Heaven help me, I tried to tell you guys that you need to repent. And you cast me out. So I'm just going to go home. I'm going to pack up my toys and go home. Well, then the Lord comes to him, of the voice of the Lord. And that's where we get that scripture about he needs to go prophesy the things that the Lord puts into his heart. So I could see why Samuel would be very reticent to like go back to the Nephites who had just cast him out. And he would be a kind of a known figure, I think. They're like, oh, this Lamanite is back again to tell us to repent. You know, I don't know. I could see why he might struggle with that a little bit. So I thought about that for a lot this week. And then the third question that the seminary manual asks is, when have you felt that a church leader was inspired by God to give a message for you? And how did it influence you? And this was something I had to think about. I was thinking, I'm like, you know, because I hear a lot in general conference, like stuff that really is important to me and that, you know, really I feel like is inspired by God. I've heard a lot of counsel from my local church leaders of amazing things that they've been inspired to say and, you know, has come from God. But I have to say probably the most powerful moment of just like earth shattering, like feel it punched the stomach, like moment of conference I have ever had was during a talk by Elder Donald L. Halstrom in the October 2017 conference. And it's in a talk called Has the Day of Miracles Ceased? Now, to give you a little run up to this story, this was like, I would say maybe five years or so after I had had a surgery that meant I could never have children. And I was really, really angry at my Heavenly Father. I was in one of those situations where I'm like, Heavenly Father, I did everything right. I did everything you asked me to. I checked off the checklist and I wanted to check off another thing on the checklist, you know, having kids, but you know, you wouldn't let me. This this thing happened and it's broken my heart and I'm really angry about it and you could have prevented it. 
You totally could have prevented it, Heavenly Father, but you didn't. And now I'm here in this place where I'm really angry and I don't understand why. And that's kind of the headspace I was in. And then I was actually like really kind of grumpy that entire conference. And I remember thinking at the time, like, these talks are all boring. This has nothing to do with me. You know, like the <laughs> little frowny face, grumpy Lexi, like the entire conference weekend. And then Donald L. Hallstrom gets up and he gives this talk about has the day of miracles ceased. And it starts out and he talks about several people, you know, maybe a, a couple who's killed in a car accident and, you know, this person who's in an avalanche. And he talks about, you know, when bad stuff happens to good people. And he gets to this point where he says, what about the innumerable faith-filled, priesthood blessing receiving, unendingly prayed for, covenant-keeping, full of hope Latter-day Saints whose miracle never comes, at least in the way they understand a miracle, at least in the way that others appear to receive miracles? What about those who suffer from profound afflictions physically, mentally, emotionally, for years or for decades or for their entire mortal life? Elder David A. Bednar once asked a young man who had requested a priesthood blessing, If it is the will of our Heavenly Father that you are transferred by death in your youth to the spirit world to continue your ministry, do you have the faith to submit to his will and not be healed? Do we have the faith not to be healed from our earthly afflictions so we might be healed eternally? That phrase, y'all. Do we have the faith not to be healed from our earthly afflictions so that we might be healed eternally? was the phrase, like, even now, I still feel that, like, just whoomp, where it was like, this is for you, Lexi. You may not understand what's going on here, and you may think that your miracle hasn't come, but do you have the faith? Do you trust me? Do you trust that I know what I'm doing, and I've been with you every step of the way through this journey? Do you trust me? Do you have the faith not to be healed? In this lifetime, do you have that faith? And Elder Hellstrom continues, A critical question to ponder is, where do we place our faith? Is our faith focused on simply wanting to be relieved of pain and suffering? Or is it firmly centered on God the Father and His holy plan and in Jesus Christ and His atonement? Faith in the Father and the Son allows us to understand and accept their will as we prepare for eternity. That is probably the strongest, like, I guess, message that I have ever gotten from one of the Lord's servants is that thought of like, I've got this, Lexi. Do you not think that I didn't think this would be best for you? And this is how it's all supposed to work out. And you will be okay. Just because it's not working out the way you think it should or the way that, you know, most other people's lives work out, just because it's not working out that way doesn't mean it's not the right way for you and you're going to be okay. And by going through this experience, you're learning lessons that you wouldn't have learned any other way. I mean, I literally physically just felt weak after this, this talk, you know, listening to this talk. And I have to think that there are probably people in Samuel the Lamanite's crowd who, when they heard what he had to say, especially when he's testifying of our Savior and the signs and wonders that were coming to that be associated with his birth, They probably felt the same way. And I think that's why the seminary manual asks about that. All right, continuing from the seminary manual, we're going to continue on from that. And we are going to go into Come Follow Me now. 
The first section in Come Follow Me says, The Lord gives warnings through his prophets. In the scriptures, prophets are sometimes compared to watchmen on a wall or a tower who warn of dangers. President M. Russell Ballard taught, Through the centuries, prophets have fulfilled their duty when they have warned people of the dangers before them. The Lord's apostles are duty-bound to watch, warn, and reach out to help those who are seeking answers to life's questions. As you ponder Helaman 13, you could mark many warnings that Samuel gave. For example, what did he teach about repentance? About humility and wealth? How might these warnings apply to you? And what warnings have modern prophets given recently? And what do you feel you should do about those warnings? Also, it's got an awesome picture of President Nelson underneath this section. (laughs) He's like talking and he's got his hands out. It looks like he just delivered like a mic drop moment. Like, boom, what more can I say? I love that picture. Okay, so I went into Helaman 13. And the warnings that they're specifically looking for are what did he teach about repentance? What did he teach about humility? What did he teach about wealth? Okay, here's what I found. The first section is about repentance, and that's in 13.2. And it says, And it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto this people. Then 6 says, Nothing can save this people save it be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, who surely shall come into the world and shall suffer many things and shall be slain for his people. Okay, pause there. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like Samuel testifies of repentance and of Christ. because. A lot of times, you know, we're all about repentance or you must repent, you must repent, and it gets kind of scary. The good part about repentance is Jesus Christ. He's the best part about repentance. The atonement is the best part about repentance because repentance isn't a bad thing. Repentance is a teaching tool. We learn from that. We are healed from sin by our Savior, and it brings us closer to Him and our Heavenly Father. Anytime we teach repentance, I really hope that we teach about our Savior and the atonement at the same time. Anytime we cry repentance, I think those need to go hand in hand, which is what Samuel the Lamanite does in that particular spot. Okay, unpause. So in 8, I saw him talking about humility. And in this particular instance, I kind of associated humility, like the opposite of humility being pride and having a hard heart. So that's why I marked this section. It says, because of the hardness of their hearts of the people of the Nephites, except they repent, I will take away my word from them and I will withdraw my spirit from them and I will suffer them no longer and I will turn the hearts of their brethren against them. And then we have repentance in 10. This shall surely come except you repent, saith the Lord, and those of the fourth generation shall visit your destruction. But if you will repent and return unto the Lord your God, I will turn away my anger, saith the Lord. Yea, thus saith the Lord, Blessed are they who will repent and turn unto me, but woe unto him that repenteth not. And then in 13, we've got more about repentance. But blessed are they who will repent, for them will I spare. But behold, if it were not for the righteous who are in this great city, behold, I would cause that fire should come down out of heaven and destroy it. And then we get into the couple of verses that about wealth, like, you know, where wealth becomes slippery. 18, and it shall come to pass, saith the Lord of hosts, yea, great and true God, that whoso shall hide up treasures in the earth shall find them again no more because of the great curse of the land, save he be a righteous man and shall hide it up unto the Lord. For I will, saith the Lord, that they shall hide up their treasures unto me, and cursed be they who hide not up their treasures unto me. For none hideth up their treasures unto me, save it be the righteous. And he that hideth not up his treasures unto me, cursed is he, 
also the treasure, and none shall redeem it because of the curse of the land. Okay, pause. So there he's saying, where do you put the importance in your life? You know, do you place it on money and wanting to get money? Is that what's most important to you? Or are you taking, you know, your material wealth, the things that you've been blessed with, and are you using it to serve me? What are you doing? Are you treasuring those treasures up to me? Or are you putting them away in the earth? Are you keeping them selfishly for yourself? And he goes on a little bit like that. Then I found some more humility in 22. You do not remember the Lord your God and things with which he has blessed you, but you do always remember your riches. Not to thank the Lord your God for them. Your hearts are not drawn out to the Lord, but they do swell with great pride unto boasting, unto great swelling, envyings, strife, malice, persecutions, murder, and all manner of iniquities. And for this cause, the Lord God caused that a curse shall come upon the land and also upon your riches, and this because of your iniquities. Okay, I want to pause there. One of the interesting things, and you can go in and read about this in Book of Mormon Central, that I saw in one of the articles that they have there, where they talked about this curse of, you know, they would bury their riches in the ground and it would slip away. Like they, they wouldn't be able to find their riches again. It would just seem like they were just gone. And they said that this was actually something that the ancient people like all over the world were concerned about. And they found it in ancient texts like from Egypt and different places, especially there was concern that, you know, someone like one's neighbor would come over and curse the ground where they like buried the money and it would make the money go away. Like, so this was a very common concept among ancient world. And so to see it show up in the Book of Mormon is kind of a cool thing. I'll let you go read the whole article. They've got like, you know, different people talking about it and, you know, stuff that is much more intellectual than I really know. So you can go check it out at Book of Mormon Central. Okay, back to Come Follow Me. I think we end a little bit more with humility. This is 27. And behold, if a man shall come among you and say, do this and there is no iniquity, do that and you shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and say this, you will receive him and say that he is a prophet because he's telling you what you want to hear. That's Lexi, not Samuel the Lamanite. I say because he's telling you what you want to hear. Samuel the Lamanite says in 28, yea, you will lift him up and you will give unto him of your substance. You will give unto him of your gold and of your silver, and you will clothe him with costly apparel. And because he speaketh flattering words unto you, he saith that all is well, and then you will not find fault with him. That is pride right there. Oh, yes, please come preach to me, but only say the things that stoke my ego and that make me feel like, you know, I'm really good. Only say that to me, which is why I think, yes, when we are preaching about our Savior, we do need to have parts about repentance in there and that yes there is such a thing as sin and yes we need to turn away from it i see sometimes in you know the other christian denominations that are here in the south that there's a lot of oh but grace has it covered oh but he's now a christian so that doesn't matter oh but he did this thing but he's a he's a born again christian he's okay well i'm not going to judge whether or not he's repented of that with his heavenly father i'm not going to judge that but Grace does cover us, but it's not a blank check. Like we still have to do the work to learn the things that our Heavenly Father wants us to learn and come closer to our Savior. We don't just, you know, get to say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die and we're covered. Like, no, there there has to be some balance there. 
And that's one of the things I love that Samuel kind of, I feel like, really restores to that. And the people, it seems like at this time, wanted people to come in and say, hey, you guys are fantastic. Look at you looting and murdering. Great job, guys. Keep it up. Like that's what they wanted, someone to stoke their ego and stoke their pride. And so when people came in and they weren't saying those things, their pride got really offended. And that's why I marked that for the humility. Okay. Then 31 and 32 talk a little bit about wealth. And behold, the time cometh that he curseth your riches, that they become slippery, and you cannot hold them. In the days of your poverty, you cannot retain them. And in the days of your poverty, you shall cry unto the Lord, and in vain shall you cry, for your desolation is already come upon you, and your destruction is made sure. And then shall you weep and howl in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, and then shall you lament and say, and this is repentance in 33, Oh, that I had repented. And had not killed the prophets and stoned them and cast them out. Okay, pause. Like, who says that? Oh, darn. I really should not have killed that prophet. That was a bad choice. Oh, my gosh. These people. (laughs) I No, that, that would definitely be a bad choice, guys. Like, don't kill prophets. That's a bad choice. Okay. I'm going to end that there because I think, you know, don't kill the prophets. That's probably a good lesson for us all. Um... But you guys get the the gist that you go in and you can see words that Samuel had for them about repentance, about being humble, and also about, you know, being greedy with your money and your wealth. Those were some of the biggest issues that they were dealing with. And some of them did take his word to heart. And we'll see that in 16 where they turn and they actually go to Nephi and ask to be baptized. So his message did reach some of them, which is good. I'm glad some of them did. So Let's turn and look at the section in Come Follow Me that says, The Lord is merciful to those who repent. It says, Originally, Samuel was sent to the Nephites to share the joyful news of the Savior's coming. And we read that in Helaman 13.7. We've read a little bit of that, but in a different context. So I want to go back into 13.7 and let's talk about the Savior's birth. Let's talk about like the Christmasiness of it all. Okay. So it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord hath declared it unto me. So this is right about the same time in the New Testament. It's about five years before Christ is born. And there were lots of angels popping in and out all over that time period. So it would not surprise me at all that an angel appeared to Samuel to tell him, hey, in five years, you know, your Savior is going to be born into the world. And he did bring glad tidings to my soul. And behold, I was sent unto you to declare it unto you also that you also might have glad tidings. This is also a pattern that we see in the New Testament. Glad tidings. You know, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. And when we receive those glad tidings, when the shepherds hear the glad tidings, when the wise men get the glad tidings, you know, when all the people who get these glad tidings, they spread it with others. They spread the message of Christ. So for us who believe in Christ and who love him, When we receive those glad tidings, our job is to spread it with others and to share it with others. Because we, like Samuel the Lamanite, want to bring others unto our Savior and to our Heavenly Father. So this goes really well with our section in Come Follow Me that we're looking at, talking about the Lord is merciful to those who repent. And it says, because they rejected him, meaning Samuel the Lamanite, he returned with stern warnings of the judgments of God. But those warnings consistently included a merciful invitation to repent. Look for these invitations throughout Helaman 13 through 15. And it gives us some scriptures. We've gone through that. I talk about all the time time that Samuel said, you know, repent. He also testified of the love of Jesus Christ. Good stuff. 
Then Come Follow Me asks me these questions. How do these invitations apply to you? What do you learn from these verses about repentance? And when have you experienced the mercy of God that comes from repentance? And guys, I thought about this this week. It was one of those things where I'm like, I was trying to like squeeze my brain and squeeze out a good story about repentance. And it was amazing. And it brought me to Christ and, you know, like some big dramatic story that I could share with you guys. And it was interesting to me as I was thinking about this, I couldn't come up with a big dramatic story that would have like this overarching theme of like, you know, turn to God because repentance is awesome. Like I didn't have that because repentance is not just one big event in our lives. Repentance is something that happens daily, even hourly, minute by minute in our lives. It is the process of coming closer to our Heavenly Father, realigning our wills with our Heavenly Father's. It happens every week when we take the sacrament. And those are the moments of repentance that came to my mind. Was those moments sitting at church, thinking about my Savior and what He has done for me. Those moments where I've gone to my Heavenly Father and said, Heavenly Father, I have messed up again. This one flaw that I have, I just, I cannot get over it. I cannot get over this, this thing that it's usually patience. I usually lose my patience. I <laughs> just, you know, spoiler alert. And I'm like, I just can't get over this. I can't keep my patience. I can't stop yelling at people like, you know, over and over and over again. And in those moments where I am so frustrated with myself, and honestly, I feel like he should probably be really frustrated with me as well. Instead, I feel his love and his mercy And I feel that mercy just washing over me. And I know I don't deserve it at that time. But to feel that healing in my soul, that's what repentance does. And that is how I feel about repentance. And that was a really good reminder to me of the times in my life where I have done that. And I have had that spiritual experience that something so simple can be a deep spiritual experience. It doesn't always have to be angels and lights and bells and whistles and, you know, giant drama to bring you closer to Christ or to make an impact on you. Sometimes it is those small little moments of just you communing with your Heavenly Father and completely being just honest with Him. Heavenly Father, I really struggle with this. And hearing hearing or feeling, I guess you could say, His mercy and His love for you and just feel it cover you. Those are incredibly deep spiritual experiences. And that's really, I think, where I've experienced the mercy of God that comes from repentance. Now, I will tell you, while I was going through this whole thing this week where I was like, I've got to find a good story, I was like, maybe I can find like a good dramatic story in general conference, a general conference talk. So I was looking in general conference talks for repentance stories. Again, I didn't find one because I felt like the message of this week was that Repentance isn't a huge production. It's something small and simple that happens inside of you, but has a huge effect on your life. And so I found this talk by Neil A. Maxwell. This is from the October 1991 conference, and it's called Repentance. He says, For some months, I've tried to emphasize repentance, one of the most vital and merciful doctrines of the kingdom. It is too little understood, too little applied by us all, as if it were merely a word on a bumper sticker. Okay, pause. So that was what really kind of started me thinking this week, is that it is so 
commonplace almost to think about repenting, that it becomes common. I don't think it should be common in our minds because it is an amazing act of love and sacrifice where our Savior brings us back to our Heavenly Father. So I checked myself on that because I felt like sometimes in my own life, I was trivializing repentance and saying, you know, oh, I go and I repent of that and I come closer to my heavenly father. It's not that big of a deal. No, no, no. It is a big deal. It's the whole deal. It's the reason we are here is to come closer to our heavenly father by using the atonement of our savior. That's the deal. That's not just something you see on a bumper sticker every day, right? So to me, I felt like I'd been a little bit too casual, I guess, in my attitudes towards repentance. And I had to repent of that. Okay. Continuing on with Neil A. Maxwell. Repentance is a rescuing, not a dour doctrine. It is available to the gross sinner as well as to the already good individual striving for incremental improvement. Pause. So that was another spot where I was like, I was looking for these big, giant, like prodigal type son stories where, you know, you've got this person and he's sinning and living like the low life and then he repents and comes back to Heavenly Father and now he's amazing. Like I was looking for those stories and those stories are there and they're good and they're redemptive. But I think the most of us experience the already good individual striving for incremental improvement. That's me. I know I'm constantly in, when I'm taking the sacrament and talking to my Heavenly Father, it's me kind of saying, okay, Heavenly Father, so let's take out our compasses and let's look at our compasses. What direction are you pointing in? Okay, I'm a few degrees off on my direction, so I need to change my moral compass and the actions and things of my life. I need to adjust that a few degrees, an increment, to become closer to what you want me to do. And that's what repentance does. Okay, going back to Neil A. Maxwell. Repentance requires both turning away from evil and turning to God. When a mighty change is required, full repentance involves a 180-degree turn without looking back. Initially, this turning reflects progress from telestial to terrestrial behavior and later on to celestial behavior. As the sins of the telestial world are left behind, the focus falls ever more steadily upon the sins of omission, which often keep us from full consecration. Yes, that would be me. Like, pause Neil A. Maxwell, that's me, Lexi, raising my hand. Sins of omission that often keep me from full consecration. I agree with that. Okay, unpause. Real repentance involves not a mechanical checklist, but a check-reining of the natural self often overlapping and mutually reinforcing each portion of the process of repentance is essential. So I wanted to share that with you guys because of that discovery that I kind of made this week. And I don't necessarily know that it was a discovery. It was a reminding that repentance isn't always big and dramatic. It's not always, you know, a life-changing event, although it is life-changing. Sometimes it's just like, A life adjustment where you have to like just turn the knob just a little bit to line yourself up with what your Heavenly Father wants for you. So that's what I learned from that section of Come Follow Me. Okay, so the next section talks about signs and wonders can strengthen the faith of those who do not harden their hearts. And it talks a little bit about Samuel the Lamanite and his prophecies. So Book of Mormon Central has a really cool article. I'm going to post the link to it on my Facebook page and um, other social media that you can go find. And it's all about the time that Samuel is prophesying. Now, Samuel prophesies very specifically about five years and then also 400 years. So let's go ahead and we're going to start with the 400-year prophecy. This is in Helaman 13.9. 
and four hundred years shall not pass away before I will cause that they shall be smitten. Yea, I will visit them with my sword and with famine and with pestilence. Yea, I will visit them in my fierce anger, and there shall be those of the fourth generation who shall live of your enemies to behold your utter destruction. And this shall surely come, except you repent, saith the Lord, and those of the fourth generation shall visit your destruction. Okay, pause there. So he mentions 400 years three times, actually, because he uses fourth generation twice. I count that as 400 years. So what is the deal with the 400 years? Well, Book of Mormon Central answers this. Apparently, in that culture at the time, they had several set time periods for prophecies that were made. There are prophecies that were made five years ahead of time, and those are called Hotun, about things that would take place 20 years in the future, and that was called Ketun. And then there's prophecies about things that would take place 400 years in the future, and that was called Bactun. Okay? So this is why Samuel the Lamanite has specific time chrono- chronologies chronologies, specific time chronologies in his prophecies. So that was the 400 years, the Bactan is what he was doing then. So not an unusual time period for prophecy. People apparently are prophesying prophesying about 400 years constantly. Okay. So the other one, we don't really see a Ketan prophecy from Samuel the Lamanite talking about 20 years in the future, but we do see a Hotan prophecy, which is five years in the future, where he prophesies about Christ coming and being born. And he says in Helaman 4.2, And behold, he said unto them, Behold, I give unto you a sign, for five years more cometh, and then behold cometh the Son of God to redeem all those who shall believe on his name. So, Here's something that the Book of Mormon Central article said, that in Yucatan, at the time of the Spanish conquest, the ruler or the spokesperson had the duty to prophesy five years in advance what the fate would be. Do you see like how that's so cool? It's such like understanding the culture a little bit more makes that so much clearer. Because when I read this through the first time this week, I was like, what is this fourth generation stuff? Like, why does he keep talking about the fourth generation? Then I was like, oh, it's because that was like culturally, that was their timeline. Apparently, you know, you guys know this about the ancient American cultures, that they were very time conscious. They had their own calendars and ways of marking time. And so this was apparently part of that culture. Now, this would also explain, we have a five-year prophecy and a 400-year prophecy. It would also explain that while Samuel does prophesy of Christ's death, he doesn't actually mention a time period for that. Because I guess 33 plus five, so that'd be 38, 38 38-year prophecies, like weren't a thing in their culture, I guess. So I guess that's why he didn't put a specific time limit on Christ's life. He does prophesy about his death, and he gives us probably the most in-depth details about the death of Christ and the things that would happen in the earth or to the earth during the death of Christ. So he does give us great details about that, just not the timeline, because it wasn't a cultural thing. Interesting, is it not? I think it's very interesting. Okay, so all this talking about Samuel prophesying of Christ coming in five years made me think about a primary song. You know, I love primary. I love primary songs. And there is a primary song about this called Samuel Tells of the Baby Jesus. And usually it's sung around Christmas time. And it's a great Christmas song. That's a great time to sing it. However, it wasn't necessarily Christmas time when Samuel was prophesying. So I think you can listen to it any day of the year. So 
after I end this episode, which I'm going to do here in a minute, I'm going to let you guys hear Samuel Tells of the Baby Jesus. It's the primary song. But if you look down at the bottom on the notes underneath like the music, if you look there in the children's songbook, at the bottom it says, this song was originally titled Christmas in Zarahemla. I'm like, I love that. Christmas in Zarahemla. Um, it, I don't know. I just got tickled at that. So I, I thought that was cute. All right. I'm going to go ahead and end this episode here so you can hear um, Samuel Tells of the Baby Jesus. I hope you guys are having an excellent week. I hope you are healthy and well and that your life is full of awesome things right now. I will see you guys here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 